Wednesday. And it's off to another world. Today's focus the planet Venus today on Weather Jazz. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, and a whole lot more. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 299 for Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. And in just a little bit, we are going to continue our look at the solar system and the objects therein. In particular, today, the planet Venus, the next one up. Last week, just in case you missed it, we covered the planet Mercury. And it's a very strange, quirky planet in many, many respects. Closest one to, obviously, the sun. So we're taking the next one outward from the solar system, which would be the planet Venus. But before we do that, let's cover some of the current meteorological affairs going on, not only across the country, but also across the world. And the first thing I want to do is head off to the Pacific Northwest. This morning in Washington State, they are seeing records fall by the handful I'm talking about record cold temperatures for this date. And as I record this here in the Weather Jazz studios just before the lunch hour, and of course that means about 9 a.m. Pacific time, and I'm looking at the observations from Seattle, Washington. The old record for today's date, the 23rd of February, was 24 degrees, and just a couple of hours ago, they managed to sneak down to 23. So they have a brand new record for cold for this date on the 23rd of February. I'm looking at the state map, and once you go basically east of the Cascades, temperatures really take a tumble. West of the Cascades, 20s, that's cold enough for coastal towns like Astoria and Hoquiam, and even towns like Olympia, which is west of the Cascades, essentially a coastal town, 16 degrees Fahrenheit this morning. But you travel east of the Cascades and they tumble into the single digits this morning. Snoqualmie Pass at two, just above zero. Yakima, eight. Omak, nine. And Spokane, Washington this morning. Four, a lot of these places are seeing record low temperatures. Uh, let's go globally right now because there's some interesting things going on in Japan, northern Japan. Blizzards to a degree, no pun intended, that they have not seen in a long time, in some cases ever. 
And uh, these blizzards have dumped almost 12 feet of snow in the areas of northern Japan in volumes that are certainly seen as very, very unusual. One other place, Iceland. It's obviously a place that I take a great deal of interest in. And for the second time this winter, they had a red warning. Now, Iceland does have a system of meteorological warnings. When you see a yellow warning, it basically is a heads up. Hey, we're going to end up with some pretty interesting weather, in some cases, rather severe. Orange, it's like stay home. Don't bother going on the roads. And red is something that they really don't see very often. And there is a definitive criteria before uh, an issuance of a red warning. Well, for the second time this winter, a red warning was issued. And a lot of damage has been recorded as a result of not only a lot of heavy snow in the capital district of Reykjavik, but also in the geothermally active town of Kvithegurdi, which is uh, to the southeast of Reykjavik. It's a coastal town. I've been there twice, and uh, they had a lot of damage from winds. One of the structures that was uh, basically completely taken out was uh, a gymnasium, an indoor gymnasium that was built about 10 years ago. And that gymnasium essentially, and including all of its contents, spread out all over the place. So the winds had to have been very, very, very strong in that uh, coastal town of South Iceland. So a lot going on around uh, the globe, really, including a typhoon that's headed for Madagascar. And I posted that on my Instagram account and someone said, boy, that seems awfully early. Well, it would be if it was the northern hemisphere, but it's not. Madagascar is in the southern hemisphere, and this is their hurricane season. Basically, their hurricane season is our winter in the northern hemisphere. So a little sneak peek around the world as to some of the unusual weather going on all across our beautiful blue planet. Well, when we come back, we will go to another planet whose weather and atmospheric conditions, well, let's just say it this way, extremely inhospitable. It is the planet Venus. We'll delve into some of the unusual attributes of our nearest planetary neighbor coming up. Well, it's Science Wednesday today. And last week we started a series off and we made take a departure from time to time from the series if we need to do that. But for the time being, we are slowly progressing from the innermost planet of the solar system, Mercury, and will extend all the way out to, and yes, I am going to include Pluto as one of our planets, along with some of the other objects in between as well. And of course, I will not ignore the sun. At some point, we'll also visit the sun and some of its interesting attributes as well. The object of this series is to basically really dig into some of the interesting aspects of our very own astronomical backyard, our solar system, essentially. There's a lot of interesting things going on here, as well as the universe, but 
I want to focus here in our very own astronomical backyard. So let's talk about Venus, our nearest planetary neighbor. It is the brightest natural object in the Earth's night sky after, of course, the moon, the moon being the brightest and closest. But Venus can actually cast shadows under the right circumstances and can even be visible to the naked eye in broad daylight. Again, you have to know just exactly where to look. Yet I can still remember going to downtown Chagrin Falls, Ohio, quaint little town for those of you not really familiar with Northeast Ohio. It is a wonderful little hamlet. And there was a gentleman with a telescope in the park during the day, and people were encouraged to look at what he had in the target. Now, the sun had not yet gone down, yet we were looking at the planet Venus through the telescope in broad daylight. So it just goes to show, if you know exactly where to look, and under the right phase of Venus, you can, in fact, see it in broad daylight. You have to be very careful, obviously, where the sun is at. You don't want to look anywhere near the sun, way too bright, and may even ruin your equipment if uh, you're not uh, really careful. But this gentleman had been doing this for decades, and it was his desire to educate people about our very own solar system and about astronomy in general And it was a real delight to see. Uh, He didn't obviously charge anything for it. He just wanted people to capture the awe of our own solar system. And in this particular case, he was showing people Venus in broad daylight. Venus orbits the sun every 224.7 Earth days. So obviously it's about one third of the time that Earth takes to orbit the sun, which is 365 and a quarter days. Now, here's an interesting aspect about Venus that may take you back a little bit. It actually takes longer to rotate about its axis than any other planet in the solar system. And on top of that, it does so in the opposite direction to every single planet except Uranus. Now, this means that the sun on the planet Venus, if you could stand on the surface and could stand its pressure, we'll talk about that here in just a second, but if you could stand on the surface of Venus and could actually see the sun, the sun would actually rise in the west and set in the east. How about that? Here's a question to ask. Does Venus have any moons? A lot of planets do. However, Venus does not. No moons whatsoever. And there's only one other planet in our solar system that does not have a moon. Can you name that planet? If you said Mercury from last week, you were right on. You were paying attention. Good for you. So Mercury and Venus have no natural satellites. Now let's talk about Venus's atmosphere because it is really, really unusual. Most people are fully aware that the vast majority of the gas which comprises Venus's atmosphere is, in fact, carbon dioxide. No surprise, we hear about the greenhouse effect on Venus. Now, there are some that call it a runaway greenhouse effect, when, in fact, that's not really the case. You see, because 
Venus has a very dense atmosphere, mostly comprised of carbon dioxide. Obviously, it traps a lot of the energy from the sun. It's closer to the sun, first of all. And on top of that, because of the high, high, high concentration and very dense atmosphere, which is comprised mostly of carbon dioxide, is going to trap an awful lot of the sun's heat. So the average temperature on the surface of Venus is right around 867 degrees Fahrenheit. It is stable at 867 degrees Fahrenheit. So if the temperature is stable at roughly the same temperature year-round, there is no runaway anything. Runaway greenhouse warming would mean that temperatures would continue to be rising or accelerating up. However, that is simply not the case. So anytime you hear that, you can tell someone there's no such thing as runaway greenhouse effect on Venus because the Venusian temperature has been stable for millennia. So they are essentially a very static system in terms of the thermal profile vertically in the Venusian atmosphere. One more interesting aspect about that atmosphere, the atmospheric pressure at the planet's surface, which is a rocky surface. So we have four terrestrial planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. And so to land something on the terrestrial surface of Venus, you've got to be very well prepared. Why? Well, the atmospheric pressure at the planet's surface is actually 92 times that of the surface of Earth, even though Venus is almost the same size as Earth. So there's an extremely dense atmosphere, mostly made of carbon dioxide, which is going to trap heat, but it's 92% thicker than the Earth's atmosphere, or 92% heavier. That essentially means if you took your barometer, which at sea level here on Earth, averages 29.92, just a hair under 30 inches even. That's why you see a lot of barometers, home barometers, with 30 inches right at the top. That's about average. If you took that same barometer and brought it to the surface of Venus, that barometer, if it had the proper scale, would not read 30 inches, but 2,752 inches of mercury. It's extremely extremely dense. It essentially has the same kind of pressure that you would encounter about a thousand meters or one kilometer underwater on Earth. And that's just a whole lot of pressure to have to withstand. So anytime that we have to send a probe up there or that we do prepare a probe to land on the Venusian surface, we have to make sure that it would be able to withstand the intense pressures and the heat that it would encounter on the planet's surface. I have just a few more things that I will include, even though we could probably go on for several hours talking about Venus and its strange oddities and quirks. But let's first talk about the fact that, yes, we have sent a probe to the Venusian surface. And the first probe made it to to Venus in 1961. It was called Venera 1. It was the first to be successfully landed on Venus 
and followed by Venera 7 in 1970. And it was essentially the first time that we had a glimpse of the Venus surface because Venus is shrouded in such a thick cloud blanket that we can't really see what the surface looks like at all. So it was the first time, the first probe to actually land and to send some pictures back. Obviously, with probes that go later and later, the resolution gets better and better, and we're getting a better glimpse of what is happening there. One more interesting tidbit about Venus before we let you go today is talking about the what we call the morning star and the evening star. It's not really a star. It is actually the planet Venus. Now, remember, any planet that is inside Earth's orbit will have a very limited clearance from the sun. And the same holds true with Venus. Now, not as much as Mercury, but Venus does have what is called a maximum elongation away from the sun of about 47 degrees. In other words, it's 47 arc degrees away from the sun at its greatest elongation in its orbit around the sun relative to viewing from Earth's perspective. So as the sun sets, if it is at its maximum elongation, we'll typically have a couple of hours of seeing Venus at a very, very, very bright apparition. And the magnitude has been recorded again at about minus 4.14. That's extremely bright, and that is bright enough under the right circumstances to cast a very faint shadow. And chances are you'll need a long exposure of your camera to actually see that, but indeed it is possible. So how often does Venus change from the morning sky to the evening sky? Well, Venus overtakes the Earth every 584 days as it orbits the sun. And as it does so, it changes from the evening star to the morning star. Now, we know that it's not a star, but it looks like a very bright star. In fact, it gets so bright at times, people have mistaken it for things like an aircraft headlight. And some people even pointing at it saying it's a UFO because it is unusually bright in the evening and or morning sky, dependent on just exactly where it is in its orbit. Now, I could certainly do a whole lot more on Venus, but uh, it would get into some really sticky, nitty-gritty aspects of the planet. It was really my hope to do a broad brush painting of a planet, which in and of itself is very unusual in many aspects, as many of our solar system neighbors uh, do possess. We'll be visiting all of them in the course of the next month or two, heading into the spring and early summer. Hope you enjoyed today's episode about Venus. And if you know somebody who is into astronomy, you might want to let them know about the series that we're doing. Make sure that they catch the first one that we did on Mercury. That's always available on the archive page at weatherjazz.com. Just scroll down, actually, a couple of episodes and you'll run right into Mercury. But today, it was Venus. Hope you learned something new, and hope you appreciate our solar system for the wonderful creative mastery with which it was created. 
Well, as we wrap up today, just a word. I'm always looking out for your comments, questions, maybe topic suggestions, that kind of thing. And as our audience continues to grow, that's a good thing. But that means I'm getting a lot more communication from you, which is all good. And while I read and or listen to every single message that you take the time to send, uh, do know that I'm unable to answer absolutely everybody uh, because of the volume, which is now starting to come in. That's a great problem to have. But know this again, I do personally read and listen to every single message that comes in. So how do you do that? Send me an email, weatherjazz at yahoo.com. And you can also send me a voicemail anytime, 24-7, on the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. That's 234-525-5888, 234-525-5888. Again, I personally listen to every single one of your messages that come into either one of those places at which you can leave some of that feedback. So I look forward to hearing from you anytime, anyplace, anytime. In the meantime, get ready for Open Line Friday coming your way in just a couple of days. We'll catch you soon. Weather and science across the globe. The weather just